Hello, and welcome to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast, a resilience podcast where we talk about all the challenging things that we're working to overcome, like anxiety, health, and relationship issues. My name is Sarah. I am so excited to bring you the 100th episode of the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast. First off, I just want to say thank you to everybody who's listened to any episode, even if this is your first one. It's been so wonderful to share tons of information, tons of personal thoughts over these 100 episodes. And I'm just so grateful that um, people are learning and listening, and it's just been a wonderful time for me. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about New Year's. So happy 2022. We have entered a new year. And one of the things that I have done at the beginning of this year is to spend a few minutes in reflection about what were some of the wins that I had from 2021, what were things that were difficult in 2021, what did not go as well as I would have liked, where were the roadblocks, and then my plan is to really dig into those areas and look at what could change in my schedule, in my life, in my priorities for 2022. So I hope that you are thinking of doing something similar if you feel like that's something that you need for this year. Certainly, I can say there were so many wonderful things happened in 2021, but there were a lot of challenges as well. And so I really want to focus in on those when I'm moving forward into 2022. So in this week's episode, we're going to bring you the second half of our best of 2021. So we did, as our 99th episode, we did best of 2021 part one. And so the 100th episode will be best of 2021 part two. And we're going to focus from the August and middle to end of August on to the end of the year And you're going to hear a number of great clips, including all of the clips from our Back to School Month, as well as our Pandas Pans Awareness Month, and then some of the shows that we rounded out the year with. We have a number of exciting interviews that are going to be coming in 2022. I've already got a number of interviews ready to go to post up over the next few weeks. And some of those really focus on things that maybe you're trying to tackle in the new year. So one is on pain management. You know, maybe this is the year that you really want to Um, rid yourself of daily pain. So this episode is for you. Or maybe you want to dig in a little bit further into nutrition and its impacts on pandas' pans. So I'll have um, an episode on that. We're going to also learn more about autism. We're going to learn about divorce and maybe how we can be there for ourselves when we're going through a change in relationship and some of the tips and techniques for that. So it's going to be at times a bit of a heavy start to the year, but I think that it's really going to fit because I know at the beginning of the year, everyone has a lot of zest and zeal about taking on big things and moving mountains. And I think some of this information that you're going to get over the next month or so will be really helpful in that regard. So I hope you did have a happy holiday and thank you so much again for listening and enjoy this 100th episode where we round out our best of 2021.
Episode 81, Back to School Series, Overcoming Bullying with Nathan Webb. Well, it all starts with ourselves, right? We got to get ourselves to a good spot before we can try and change the world. And so I tell kids they need to do three things. They need to know, focus, and serve. So the first one I talked about, know who you are, right? That way you lay a foundation so the, the unkind words of other people don't drag you down. Secondly, we need to focus on what we can control and what we do have. Oftentimes when people do something to us, like you said earlier, we blame ourselves. We think we deserved it in some way, shape, or form. And we put the responsibility of someone else's actions on our shoulders. When in reality, we have no control over what they do. We only can control what we do. And once we realize that and we stop putting the weight of their actions on our shoulders because we can't control them, the weight of the world comes off of us and we are able to only focus on one person, which is ourselves. Focus on becoming a better person. How do your words affect other people? How do your actions affect other people? Don't worry about Johnny Boy, who's been being a mean little brat for a couple of years now. Worry about you. What are your words? Because you're not responsible for his actions. It's not your fault. Um, and then secondly, focusing on what you do have, the internet is full of comparison culture. And that culture breeds self-doubt and negative self-talk and... Um, negativity all the way around and focusing on what other people have, you know, that saying the grass is always greener on the other side. Well, the grass is greener where you water it. And if you spend some time in your own lawn, it might get a little greener. Um, seeing what you do have enables you to fill this cool thing called gratitude. <laughs> your brain cannot multitask. It can't feel jealousy and gratitude at the same time. It can't feel happiness and sadness at the same time. It can go back and forth rather fast. Um, but if you are purposefully and intentionally, intentionally um, focusing on the things that you do have, you enable yourself to be grateful and to be happy. And that helps to combat the, the, the comparison culture, which helps us to dive more into kindness because all of a sudden we're happy with what we have. We're no longer jealous that we don't have the fake life that we see the fake Instagram influencer have because we know it's fake. And because of that, we're not lashing out trying to hurt people because we feel like we're low. Um, and then the lastly is, is just serve because if anyone's having a down day, it might be time to stop thinking about yourself and go help somebody else out um, because someone else always is struggling more than you are. You just aren't seeing them because you're so enveloped in your own issues. And this isn't to ignore your own issues, but it's to give you a little bit of perspective that even though you are having some hard times and we need to validate that, you still have the capacity and the ability to bring other people up. And it helps fill you with that sense of kindness and joy so that next time a hard time comes around, you know it's not going to crush you because you've seen You've seen other people crushed and you've been able to help them. So you know that you're going to be able to make it. Episode 82, back to school series, using yoga and breath work to parent successfully with Anya Simmons. And then as far as yoga goes, you know, there's um, lots of breath work and guided meditations that we can start to bring in as a way of um 
transitioning into school, but also sort of starting to create sort of some habits of quiet time. You know, meditation does not mean the same to kids as it does to us. I I taught kids for many years and um, I taught them actually out of a hospital um, to do with anxiety. And the yoga portion that we had, the breath work was the key for many of them and made it very practical. Hmm. So it's a bit hard on on a podcast to explain it um, uh, exactly, but there's breath work of just placing your hand on your chest and your hand on your belly. As soon as you're feeling nervous, as soon as you're up in your head and getting anxious, connect to your breath. And for kids and for adults, this great thought of like, okay, let's get out of our head for a second and into our body because that's our intuition, right? That's the grounding place. Um, If they're having trouble sleeping, right, or if they're having trouble sort of just um, calming down at all for little ones. And actually th- this program was up to th- 13 that I was doing at the hospital and um, they liked it too. That idea of a breathing buddy and you have a little teddy or something and you lie down and you place this teddy on your tummy and you're, you're going to just breathe in and breathe out into your belly and feel the teddy moving with you, right? And that goes straight into our nervous system. That goes right into this idea of I am safe, I am relaxed. Yeah, I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. And so the the kind of I am safe, I am relaxed, that's almost like a mantra in a way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And finding uh, the ones that sort of different ones work for us, right, at mm-hmm. different times and the same for children. Um, and there's also this lovely uh, volcano breath, it's called, well, we call it for the kids one. And it's this idea of three sharp inhales in the nose as your arms come up through the center and then on the exhale you take a big exhale and lower your arms out to the side and we can do that with the concept of having something in our mind that's disturbing us right maybe it's a sibling (laughs) maybe Mm -hmm. it's um you know you don't know if your friend's going to be in the same class as you maybe it's Mm -hmm. you know oh you've just found out you're not getting the teacher you wanted all those kind of things and it's a great way of then uh, integrating the body and the breath in, in releasing this out into the universe. I mean, you can do that three or four times. I have a great video for this. I'll, I'll let you have the link after um, oh, of these breath works so that you can really sort of work with them. And, and I suggest there's, I think, about five or six on the video I have, but it's, you know, type them out, put them on the fridge, you know, have them there so that you can sort of say, okay, let's, oh, wow, we're all kind of in each other's faces and niggly or angry. Let, let's go check a breath that we could do. Episode 84, Back to School Series, Techniques for Neurodivergent Learners with Leslie Gibson. The best thing that I could suggest, the, the most effective tool would be a four-step um, process that we use in educational kinesiology that helps to calm the system, um, to help them focus and just really gives them a sense of empowerment that they have this little kind of routine that takes a minute and a half that they can use to, you know, calm themselves and to, to help them stay better focused. And, and so what, um, would be involved in that four step process then? Sure. Um, The first part of that is taking a sip of water. And I know that sounds simple and that we're all aware how important it is to stay hydrated, but just 
sipping water and holding it in your mouth for a few seconds as you, you know, swish it around like you would mouthwash, it helps us to mm-hmm. instantly feel more hydrated to um, kind of wake up our system. And then, you know, of course, swallow it and it goes into the digestive system. But this is just an instant way to feel more alert, better hydrated, and it allows our brain to function at its best. You know, electricity travels fastest through water. So a sip of water. And the second part of that is an acupressure point found under the collarbones right on each side of the breastbone. So if you imagine just placing your hand on your chest, um, right in the middle to where your thumb and fingers are touching your collarbones, just massage that area. And you can have the kiddos do this for themselves, or if you have a small child as a parent, you can do this for them. Just be careful because there may be some tenderness there. Uh, Some of us do have that. And so just be gentle. And it will eventually, um, that will go away. The third part is a whole body movement that allows both hemispheres of the brain to become activated. And that can be um, the knee lifts, like we used to do in PE, just where you reach across Mm -hmm. with your hand and touch your opposite knee. Or it can be any movement where you're using both sides of the body at the same time. So if you were to touch your fingertips to your thumbs on both hands and just go, you know, index finger, middle finger, all the way across, that is causing neurons to fire in both hemispheres of the brain at the same time. Hmm. And then the last step of that is uh, it's a technique that allows for the body to become calm and centered. And a lot of the, the little ones who are stressed and even teenagers, um, this is usually their favorite because it just feels so good. And what you'll do is cross your legs at the ankles and then cross your arms at the wrist and place them on your chest. So just kind of like giving yourself a hug as you have your ankles crossed. And just take a few moments and a few deep breaths. And a lot of times this is the movement that people that I work with really gravitate toward. And it it just helps them to, like I said, just to, to be more calm and to bring things back into focus. So those four things, sipping water, the acupressure points on the chest under the collarbones, uh, moving your whole body, and crossing the arms and legs and taking a few deep breaths. Episode 85, back to school series, keeping our kids healthy with Dr. Elham Raker. Fortunately or unfortunately, I guess, depending on how you look at it, kids did not really get sick last year. You know, visits Mm -hmm. were down for things like flu, flu and colds and that nature, which is nice, right? We would love that every year. But the fact of the matter is kids also should be out and about and playing and with their friends and, they're going to get the typical germs and viruses. So it may be a little bit worse this year because maybe all of our immune systems, you know, got a little rest last year. It's hard to say for sure, but um, certainly, you know, it is something we want to prepare for. I do generally believe that kids 
tend to do pretty well in their diet. Even the picky eaters don't tend to need supplements. You know, my concern with the supplements and vitamins is a lot of times, A, they end up getting things they don't need. And really, you're just making expensive urine. Um, B, sometimes it can be harmful. So the gummy vitamins with mm. extra sugar or could cause cavities. So it's it's not only not helping, it's maybe harming. So mm -hmm. I do want to always, you know, make sure everyone's getting the right thing and getting what they need. Um, the vitamins that I do recommend in general, especially as kids get a little bit older, vitamin D, I'd say is something we can all take more of. Mm -hmm. We do get it from the sun, but we're all also very um, conscious of the sun and sunburns, which we should be. So hopefully everyone's using SPF that's, you know, big in my house, then we're not getting as much vitamin D. So I do think vitamin D is something to think about. Definitely talk to your doctor about. Um, they can check vitamin D levels if it is a concern. But for the most part, I think we can all use a little bit extra. And that's a pretty easy one to supplement. The other thing that I see missing in a lot of older kids is calcium. Calcium, mm. you, you don't tend to drink so much milk as you get older, understandably. And it's hard to get as much calcium as kids need. Starting at nine, they need about 1,300 milligrams of calcium, which is higher than the adult dose. So that's another thing to think about. And then the other things we think about for immunity. Calcium is not specifically immunity, just talking about kids in general. Mm -hmm. But for immunity, the other things to think about, I think, are zinc, vitamin C, um, some of the B vitamins, you know, help with just general fatigue and energy. Again, I don't think those have been studied so well, and, and it, the data is not so conclusive. But certainly if you if it makes you feel better to do a little bit extra vitamin C or zinc, certainly if you there's a sniffle coming on or something like that. I don't think that would be harmful. I'm not 100% sure how much difference it would make, but I really truly do believe in the placebo effect in the, in the sense that mm -hmm. if you feel like this is helping, then great. You know, if you, if someone feels that they're going to take something and it's going to help them feel better, then that's, that's okay too. So yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and I've for sure heard a lot of those come up um, from other practitioners as well. So yeah, I totally think those make sense to incorporate. Um, and then I guess there would be sort of the obvious thing, like solid sleep, things like that. Um, yes, you mentioned exactly. even earlier so, with the schedule. Yeah, so going back to the basics, um, there is so many benefits to getting good night's rest, like we talked about the schedule, but making sure, you know, depending on the age, the different hours that kids need to sleep will help them in their immune function and their school function in just how they can handle life in general. Episode 87, I Am Not Alone, Pandas Pans Awareness Day 2021 with Gabriella True. What is, there's hope. For these kids and these young these adults with this issue um and you know just keep digging keep learning um you know if you're stuck and the symptoms aren't improving go back to the drawing board i mean maybe you need to get a new doctor maybe you mm -hmm. need somebody with a new set of eyes um or ask them 
for a different antibiotic, especially if it's like amoxicillin. That often doesn't get these kids very far um, or they're going to need a longer course. And while they're educating themselves about this disorder, you know, they don't have to learn. A lot of them want to learn everything in the first week. It's impossible. Yeah. Uh, try not to read every single post on Facebook mm-hmm. um, because it's just overwhelming. Yeah. Um, you know, read some of them, but give yourself a time limit. Or if it's something that you really don't think apply to your, apply to your kid at that moment, move on to the thing that does. Right. Um, you don't have to be an expert on every single person's kid yet. You just have to try to learn how to help your own kid at the moment. So, um, you know, as you go along, you do pick up more and more and you keep learning. So I think that's always important. Um, two is that find a core group of friends that are dealing with this. Um, Aspire has a Facebook group now and we're probably going to be doing, we have some meetings starting up, even though that not really announced yet, but you know, finding your, your tribe, your group of people, because, you know, you have to know you're not alone. And even when your kid is raging and you're standing at the top of the stairs at three in the morning, because you're trying to prevent your kid from running out into the middle of the street to scream and rage. And, and you just want to keep them pacing and raging in your house at three in the morning, or when, you know, your kid won't go to school and it's been three weeks and, you're still trying to get a letter from a doctor because you're worried the school's going to call the truant officer on you. You know, you are not alone. There are so many of us, unfortunately, that know exactly what that feels like. So like, I know if I'm sitting there in the depths of this hell at three in the morning, I'm like, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I just, I pretty much repeat it to myself um, because it's a dark lonely scary place without that so I even to this day I it's like a mantra I'm not alone I'm not alone I'm not alone and then the next day I pick up the phone and I call one of my friends and be like oh my god last night was horrible um and they're like oh yeah I know all about that um so join the aspire facebook group um and you know meet some people and share your story um and then the third is sort of a basic thing prepare for absenteeism um at school more than likely that's going to happen (laughs) and the two things you need to do to prepare for that is work on getting that letter from your doctor so even if your kid's not having it have that conversation with the doctor some doctors are more willing to write good letters than others (laughs) yeah so get that talking to um talking to the doctor about that um and informing the school that it can happen because we want to prep schools to plan for the worst and hope for the best. Um, So you may need to remove, you have to renew that letter every year. So like put it on your calendar for like June. Yeah. (laughs) As soon as they're done with school, get on the doctor's calendar to get the letter for next year. Um, Even if your kid has been in remittance for a while, you just don't want to be stuck. And we know when they suddenly go into a flare again, life is difficult. So try to plan ahead. Um, and then, you know, sort of talk with, if you, if you aren't a single parent, um, you know, 
figure out how you guys are going to just at least start thinking about how you, what are you going to do? Like who's not going to work? <laughs> it's yeah. not an easy conversation. And if you're a single parent, like what are you going to do? Who's your backup? Do you have backup? Like have you talked to your office about family, family medical leave act, FMLA um, and start to plan for it because it can blindside you. And at that point you're really only fit, focused on supporting your child and you, all the other stuff you, you want it to at least be thought about. Um, so it doesn't hit you like such a brick wall. I mean, it's going to hit you like a brick wall anyway, but um, mm-hmm. at least you don't, you can hit it at 30 miles per hour versus 60. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then like, you know what we were talking about before, everybody's got to, that family, everybody in that family's got to be on board with remembering that this brain is inflamed and dysregulated. The sooner all parties in the family start to understand that and leading with love always and not blaming these patients for something that is a manifestation of their disability is, I think it's one of the most important things we can do as parents. Episode 88, Brain Inflamed with Dr. Kenneth Bach. But I wondered if you could briefly explain pandas or pans and kind of how do we go from a strep infection to or another infection in the case of pans, but to brain inflammation and, you know, just to help those that are unaware of the process. Yeah, so that's, that's a very good question, Tara. And, and basically, it's, there are two mechanisms, but the most, the one that's been thought of the most for the most years is very akin to rheumatic fever which if anybody remembers rheumatic fever, that you get a strep infection and then you get a heart condition or joint inflammation after the strep infection because when you get the strep infection, the immune system reacts to the strep. But what it does is it reacts to a very specific part of the strep. It's it's a tiny peptide, a little piece of a protein called an epitope, P-I-T-O-P, epitope. And so what happens is you get these B cells and these helper T cells involved and you get this normal kind of immune response that you get to help fight the infection. That's what we do. That's what the immune system does. Mm-hmm. But in this case, in addition to the appropriate immune response to the strep, that epitope on the strep, there is a piece of the brain called in, 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 a, in an area deep in the brain called the basal ganglia which is responsible for movements and mood um, that looks exactly like that little epitope on the strep. So when these antibodies that the immune cells make to fight the strep go circulating looking for the strep, they see what they think is a strep, but it's a piece of the basal ganglia. So they react to that and you get inflammation of the basal ganglia. And then you get the symptoms related to the kind of inflammation autoimmunity reaction in that part of the brain that controls movement and mood. So basically you have uh, tics, you have chorea, which is actually these really can be flailing movements of the body, the arms or legs. Uh, in, the, in the old days, rheumatic fever was called Sydenham chorea. This is a little more subtle chorea. Sometimes it manifests as these very subtle piano-like fingers. Like if you, if you put, if you have them stretch their hands out, you'll see these piano-like movements of this, of the outstretched hands and fingers. Uh, in addition to tics, which could be motor tics, you know, the head, if I, if we were in video now, I could show the head shaking or shoulder shaking or, um, 
sometimes a vocal tick, like, <clears throat> you know, or, you know, sometimes even words, you know, sometimes it's pretty, uh, it can be loud, it can be grunts, it can be, uh, it can manifest in so many ways. In addition to other mood disorders like anxiety, depression, OCD is a huge one, mood dysregulation, based on not the actual strep infection in the brain. So this is what your listeners have to understand. It's actually related to immune dysregulation. As Sue uh, Suido, uh, who used to be with the NIMH, uh, said, and I love uh, what, what she, how she called it, it's a misdirected immune response, an immune response that should be directed against strep, but is misdirected against an epitope of the brain or basal ganglia specifically that looks just like the strep. That makes a lot of sense and, and is kind of a easier way, I think, to explain it and, and follow what's really going on. Do you love the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast? Well, first of all, thank you so much. Second of all, if you love the podcast and you want more and more to keep coming, I would love your support through Kofi.com. Kofi.com is a way that you can put a little money towards your favorite podcast. It can be as little as a few dollars, one time, bunch of times, whatever you feel that you can give. And it helps to cover all the costs that go associated with podcasting. So if you would like to support this podcast, please consider donating through Kofi.com. You can find the link in my Instagram feed under Linktree. It's at Sarah Lady Gluten, or you can visit Kofi, K-O- hyphen fi.com slash learning to slay the beasts. I appreciate your support, whether you can give or not. Thanks so much for listening. Episode 89, Break the Mold with Dr. Jill Krista. The commons are fatigue, brain fog, cognitive problems, insomnia, anxiety, or anxiousness. I'm trying to be careful not to say anxiety because it could just be an anxious, unrested feeling on the inside. Um, vision changes are quite, quite common that someone will feel like their vision can change in an hour. Hmm. They might even go get new glasses and then the next day say, I don't think they did this right. I don't think these glasses are working for kids. That's convergence disorder, which means that their eyes don't go across the page at the same rate. So they have reading issues. Um, so sort of thinking about, you know, if you're tipsy, your eyes don't quite work all that well. That's the, that's kind of the idea. You can also have irritable bowel syndrome, constipation or diarrhea or a mixture of both. And a lot of um, bloating or tendency to have candida overgrowth, which is really common with kids with pans and pandas. We can also see skin reactions. Um, in a healthier kid, you're going to see louder skin reactions because that's a safer way for your body to detoxify is through the skin. Ear ringing is one of the quirks that's very common with mold exposure. And it makes sense because some of the highest drug classes that we know that cause ear ringing are antibiotics. And we get antibiotics from fungi. We get penicillin from penicillium mold. Mm. Uh, so that kind of is like, ooh, clink, clink. You know, <laughs> yeah. you don't necessarily have to have sinus or respiratory congestion at all if all you're being exposed to is the mycotoxins, if the spores and the spore fragments are behind building material or under flooring 
or in your crawl space or in your attic, then the mycotoxins are being pulled into the air of that space. And you don't have, you can have mold related illness without any allergic or spore related symptoms. You can even have a normal allergy test to mold, but still have mold related illness that's related to mycotoxin exposure. Another quirk of mycotoxins is urinary frequency and pelvic pain. And I'm trying to think, I know I'm missing something really big, but <laughs> maybe I, we might hit them as we go. Yeah, oh, no, sure. Point inflammation. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, things, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and I can see how those are really all over the place and, and all yeah, totally that it would be very difficult to put it together what's going on. And mm-hmm. so I do get this question a lot. Like, so this is, so there is the part that's more allergy, but it's not like a mold allergy. I know a lot of people say, oh, I have a mold allergy. Um, so when it's outside, leaves are breaking down, things like this. But in in this case, does the mold actually then stay in your body? Yeah, so it can be a mold allergy. You can have more sensitivity to outdoor molds than you used to or more sensitivity okay. than the normal person. And that can be, for me, that is a little like, hmm, I wonder if there is a water damage building exposure because if the if you've been in that exposure long enough and you've been exposed to the mycotoxins long enough, the message in that toxin when it interacts with your sinus flora and your respiratory passages is I want to move in. Mm. I want to come in and compost you. I'm here to do my job. And so your own flora initially will have a, a defensive response. And if the mycotoxins keep showing up and keep showing up, then your your body goes into kind of um, assault mode <laughs> and trying to fight with normal flora. So your normal flora becomes a pathogenic biofilm. And in that case, then spores can move in and you become that moldy building. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's kind oh, of a wow. continuum. I see it as a continuum. Episode 91, talking about the biggies with Devin Tomiak. I'll just say there is one card. It's called connection. And I I love that card because I think it's so important, right? I think that's what ultimately these cards are about. And um, there's another card that's about forgiveness. Um, and I think forgiveness is important, but, but the forgiveness card kind of touches on empathy. Mm. And, and, you know, the idea that you have to imagine what someone else is feeling in order to give them the benefit of the doubt and forgive, like if you if you have some argument. Um, but I, I think empathy is so important because, well, I'll just say, I used to think empathy was kind of like this, like sympathy on steroids. Like it was just really the ability to feel how someone else is feeling. And as I've learned more and more, I've learned that empathy is actually, it's that, but it's also the ability to understand what someone else is needing and wanting from you. So it's like reading social cues, right? Right. And and picking up on kind of like social expectations and all that ultimately goes back to connection. That's what enables us to connect, right? When you have someone who doesn't have that ability, that makes them feel separate. Whereas if you have someone who's really good at who's really good at empathy, they're going to really know how to be able to read people and engage with them and click with them. So I would say those two cards are are big for me. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And those are really life skills. I mean, the forgiveness, the connection, those are things that you need your whole life. So that makes a ton of sense why they would be very central. <laughs> yeah. And and in fact, you know, as I, as again, as I've learned more and more, and you know, I talk a lot about resilience, but at the end of the day, resilience, it's like all the same as like emotional intelligence, building mm-hmm. emotional intelligence, building resilience, um, all these kind of concepts, they're so similar, like how to be successful in life. They all kind of fit in the same category. They're, you know, it's all the same thing, just with different words, if you ask me. Episode 92, how to master transitions with Rachel Shumway. So for example, something that I'm learning about right now is trauma. And I can read books for hours and hours and hours on the roots of trauma, the effects, the indicators, the healing, and just be completely absorbed in this because right now my brain finds this interesting. Mm, mm -hmm. When I was growing up and when I was in the classroom, my teacher was, you know, talking about history or something. And I knew that I should pay attention. I knew that, you know, I was going to make the teacher angry if I didn't, but I just, my brain was just like, yeah, we know it's important. Like, you know, we should kind of do what the teacher says, but I just don't care. That's like what the brain kind of says in the background. And so forcing myself into that where most people are kind of able to gently coax themselves, if you will, into Mm -hmm. focusing and, and, and listening to something that the brain doesn't find interesting ADHD brains are like, yeah, no, we just don't really care. So that's where the problem normally comes in, quote unquote, is if you're in a classroom setting and you have to listen and you have to, you know, be engaged, that's when like the fidgeting starts because your brain and your Mm. body are literally like fighting with themselves. It's like, this is so boring. We don't want to be doing this. So learning to first recognize that, you know, it's not a lack of attention It is an ability to hyper-focus on the things that we find interesting, and the brain just doesn't really care about other things. So learning how to use that as a superpower is step one, identifying what things are interesting. And the way that you know that, that it's interesting is literally like, I just, it's like your brain lights up and it's like, oh, I want to learn about that. Okay let's go. And from an outside perspective to somebody that does not have an ADHD brain, it seems super scattered all over the place. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. But from the inside, it's really picking up little bits of information here and there. And then the brain is, it's like you're marinating chicken, right? Like you put in a little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper, a little bit of paprika, and then you just let the chicken marinate and out pops this incredibly deliciously flavored chicken. <laughs> so in the idea world, it's like we're picking up little bit, bits and pieces of information here and there and letting it marinate and then presenting the information, presenting the idea in a whole new process, a whole new way of doing things that people wouldn't normally think of because our brains make different connections in very new and exciting ways. So. In learning to use this as a superpower, I would offer, right, choose something that is interesting and allow yourself to trust that there is a direction, there is a method to the madness, if you will, um, and allowing yourself to be different because from that is really the only way that you're going to be able to learn what does work, how you focus, how you structure your time, how you manage your energy, 
Um, but just really taking off all of the expectations that we should learn in A, B, or C way because it just it just doesn't work for us. Um, which I think is a lot easier to do when you are an adult and you have the mm-hmm. flexibility to do so, um, yeah. which is mainly where my expertise lies, not as much um, in children with ADHD, but more in adults, is allow yourself to, as my coach says, follow the crumbs of your curiosity and see what comes of it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, yeah, that definitely is the challenge. So the school system isn't necessarily always set up that way, but I can see like for sure in adulthood, you know, you could get into certain careers. Well, maybe like coaching um, where you have that ability to follow what you're interested in a little bit more. That makes a lot of sense. Have you read my novel Pendulum by S.E. German yet? If not, what are you waiting for? And if you have, I would love to hear from you. If you don't know about Pendulum, it's a heartwarming story about a young boy who starts to experience neuropsychiatric symptoms after an infection. We follow the boy as he goes through many regular, real middle grade issues like moving, having a crush, playing sports, also while experiencing neuropsychiatric symptoms like anxiety, OCD, tics, panic attacks, and more. If you're interested in checking out Pendulum by S.E. German, it is available through Amazon Worldwide, where you can even see a preview of the book, or you can listen to chapter one, which is on episode 64 of the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast. I hope you enjoy the novel, and thanks for your support. Episode 93, Benefits of a Plant-Based Lifestyle with Kathy Davis. I, I love that question because it took me about eight months. It was about eight months of trying different recipes, trying mac and cheese made with a queso-ish recipe from butternut squash or, you know, trying tacos that used potatoes as the filling, not meat. Um, and the more plant-based options that I tried, the more I learned about this way of eating, the more I allowed myself to accept it as an option. And in the beginning, we were really focused on just eating more plants. That was our motto, eat more plants, eat more plants, eat more plants. And the more plants we ate and the more we kind of crowded out the animal products or did away with them altogether, the more I allowed myself to look at some of the not so fun videos on animal agriculture and the the real pivot moment i was actually standing at a friend's house her family raised uh, animals for for food and one of the cows had just had a baby cow and i was like oh my gosh i know that cow's fate i can't eat animals anymore and it was that after 8 months of trying and testing the recipes and learning the information and, you know, immersing myself in it. It was that one pivotal moment, that one true life connection. And I, I said, I can't eat animal products anymore. And I've been vegan ever since. Um, My real focus on helping other people came because it took me so long to learn a lot of the information because I had to go to all these different places. And I wanted to create Veg Inspired to be a place where people could go for one place for all the resources, the information on the benefits, the information on recipes, how to make 
your favorite recipes vegan. And that has really evolved that helping others transition has really evolved as I've even learned more about this way of eating. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I can see, you know, definitely if your husband's on board, that's helpful. You know, times that I've either been vegetarian or vegan or or tried different um, things, it can be a real challenge when you then try to do a family dinner and everybody's wanting something different. <laughs> so that's probably really helpful. And then, you know, I kind of, the way that you talked about moving into the the vegan world over a period and sort of getting exposed, I would say is very similar to how I transitioned to a gluten and dairy free diet is that, you know, I had tried gluten free a few times I had like, and then kind of come back and, um, and then it was like, I sort of hit this point where I like, was just like, no, like health wise, I need to really do this. And it was like, I sort of had that groundwork. And I can see that that probably helped you like, you knew recipes at that point, you knew things that you could um, rely on. So that makes a lot of sense. Definitely. And I think the other realization too, and you probably noticed this as you transitioned, is you started to realize it wasn't as scary, as hard, Mm -hmm. or as whatever thing we think it might be. We start to realize it isn't that, that it's actually different. Maybe there's Mm -hmm. more variety. Maybe it's easier than you think. Yeah, But you don't really know until you try. Yeah, you know, and everybody sort of focuses on the what's going to be hard when they transition their diet instead of the, yeah, what what do I already know? What do I already like? Like what's already available to me that's easy, right? Yeah, yeah, I think that's huge. Actually, even my son and I were on a call with one of his healthcare practitioners today, and he's been gluten-free for, you know, five years and um, dairy-free as well. And And she said, oh, you know, is that really tough? And he was like, no. <laughs> because he's been doing it for so long. It was just so funny to hear, you know, as an 11 year old, he's like, no, it's easy. Like, why, <laughs> why would it be hard? <laughs> so I'm sure you get vegans saying that as well. Like, well, this isn't hard. It's not like rocket science. You just eat something different, right? <laughs> yes. Episode 94, how to approach the holidays with Alex Pin. Everything what really matters in life is more important than just these gifts. Yes, it's okay, gifts and everything. And it's good that kids have a lot of wishes. And we really know in our inner world with our intuition how to develop the Christmas, which gifts to to really buy. Uh, We have that inner guidance. But along that, we all have that desire that the child would have a wish that it's different, that it's not about, you know, I want that toy, you know, or something like that, um, which is the new now in the store and blah, blah. But we really want our children to see that deeper meaning. And this is something that I would like to give with the book, Hannah's Christmas Wish to parents to help them and give them the book where they can talk about all those things that are really important in life. I found out that when my son was still in kindergarten, he is 14 now, and there was a girl uh, in that kindergarten, and she was on a wheelchair. And for Christmas, she wished that she would like to walk. Not about the toys and books and, you know, what other kids do. She just had such a simple wish 
she would like to walk. And she drew that uh, to Santa. So the parents, the Santa came to the kindergarten <laughs> asking for help, you know, what should they do? And this was the story that, you know, spread it around in the town where I lived. And I, I cried for three days when I heard that because then I realized that this is something that we all wish for, that our children would also, you know, see and write those wishes that that cannot be bought in stores. But we are the ones here who can help them find that so that they, they have these wishes. But we just need to find a way so that they express them. Because when a child expresses a wish like that, we all melt. We, we, we all feel that that part in ourselves that, yeah, we are good parents. Yeah, we're on the right way, on the right track. <laughs> Episode 96, How to Stop Making Yourself Do Stuff with Rebecca Newkirk. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the first thing that I've been telling people, <laughs> and this is I um, half-ass your way to success, guys, like <laughs> half-ass your way to make it, like, you know, the, the things that are non-negotiables, you know, do it if it's worth doing, like do it if you have to brush your teeth, brush your kids' teeth, right? But mm -hmm. like, make the lunches. Um, <laughs> make the lunches, but don't spend so much energy on those things that you have nothing left over for anything else, right? I'm talking to a bunch of perfectionists. I'm talking to higher achievers. I'm not worried that you're going to let things go, right? So like, um, you know, practice half-assing. <laughs> uh, the okay. other, you know, the other tool is like, I'm asking people to be strategically selfish, right? Learn to say no more. Just because someone wants something from you does not mean that you should provide it. Just because you can do it does not mean that you should do it, right? Um, start learning to take care of yourself more, um, even if it feels selfish to you. Um, and I get, I think the last thing, you know, with regard to sort of like the healthy at every size stuff and, you know, some of the other things that we're talking about is like, it's just, it's intuitive eating. It's like the embodied reset. It's like show up in your body and, and actually start paying attention to what you're wanting or needing moment to moment. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I can totally identify with some of those, like, because, you know, when you are a perfectionist, you are an overachiever, you're right. Like you even just making the lunches or, you know, being involved in the, in your child's school, something like that, that, you know, it, you could maybe give a medium amount of effort. A lot of times you end up being like, well, I'm going to do this perfectly. Right. Like, so it's, it's one yes. of those things. And absolutely the saying no, like I've been in that situation where I'm, you know, even saying to my husband, like, well, do you think I should volunteer for this? I mean, I could, I don't really want to, <laughs> yes. but you know, maybe, maybe I just should because I could do it. And and you're right. right. And then it's like, that takes away from that time that you, you know, have to have fun or, you mm -hmm. know, do some of those passion projects and things like that. So I think, um, yeah, this is really good work for sure. Um, and yeah, I really like the, the embodied reset thing. It is something that is super challenging though, because, you know, being someone who's ugh, gosh, been on and off diets my whole life. And then, um, you know, been a very avid worker outer, um, mm -hmm. I do have a hard time saying like, maybe I won't run today. I don't really feel like it. You're sort of in the back yeah. of your mind going, okay, lazy, like, <laughs> thing, mm -hmm. right. Yeah. And it's hard. Yeah. It's hard not to to have that response um, 
you know, and, and we are so like wired in terms of some of these responses that we're giving ourselves, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Episode 97, how to deal with awkward situations with Paula Jean Ferry. No, actually, I think I I do them more often when I'm excited. Statistically, it's more when you're stressed. But I've thought about how physiologically my body has the same reaction, whether you're scared or excited. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you get that adrenaline rush, you get the butterflies in the tummy. And I do them more when I'm excited. And I think that's partially due to having a good attitude and going, oh, I get to play with these. This is going to be fun. Um, Instead of a stressful situation that is then exacerbated by ticks. And I hit this, you know, Mm -hmm. endless cycle of stress going up and ticking more and then getting more stressed and then ticking more. Um, I, I tend to go the opposite direction, I think. Yeah, it sounds like you have like a really positive mindset kind of approach. Like, is that in terms of tips for awkward situations? Is that kind of one you would suggest? Actually, I'm going to tell you a little bit more. This this might take a minute, but it's so powerful. This this really changed my life. In doing all of this research with Tourette syndrome and how it affects communication in awkward situations specifically, we live in various cultures. It can vary from place to place, but culture is basically unwritten rules that we're all expected to know and understand and live by. And we just kind of observe these growing up. No one has to tell us, but we just kind of know from watching. Uh, For example, we know not to ask a woman her age or her weight. And we, we know that one so well that it's become a joke, but there's a lot of those within culture that it's just an unspoken rule. Like, duh, everybody knows this. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens when there's an awkward moment is a period of time where we don't know the rules. And as adults, we think we're supposed to know these rules by now. So we get embarrassed. And so we look around looking for someone who knows the rules so that we can watch and learn and follow their example. But there's not really a precedent when you're going to scream in the middle of church or bark in a business meeting. That's just, it's one of those unspoken rules. You don't make these noises at inappropriate times. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what it is, is people don't know how to respond. That's what creates awkwardness is I don't know what to do. but. I do because I know the source of these noises. I know what's going on. I get to create what happens next. People are looking for a leader and I get to be that leader. And I get to say, oh, it's Tourette syndrome. It's okay. You can keep going or, or whatever have you, you know, maybe I choose not to say anything and just let everyone else sit there in awkwardness, but I don't have to feel awkward because I know what's happening. I hope you enjoyed this best of 2021 part two episode and the 100th episode of the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast. And I look forward to bringing all new episodes starting next week. Have a great week. I'm excited to announce the launch of my author website, www.se-german.com. On this website, you can find out all the information about my publications, focused areas on my novel, Pendulum by S.E. German, where there are questions for parents as you work through the novel with your children, as well as teacher resources that can be used in the classroom. 
There's also information about the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast and recent press. Please visit www.se-german.com. Thank you for listening to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast. Please keep in mind, this podcast is not intended to be medical or professional advice. If you'd like to hear more from me, you can follow me on social media, Instagram and TikTok at Sarah Lady Gluten or Facebook, Sarah underscore Gluten Free Lady. You can also visit my website, which includes author information, speaking information, and more info on the podcast at www.se-german.com. If you like the podcast, please feel free to review the podcast on your favorite platform and also subscribe because it means that it will show up for you every week on your favorite podcast platform. Also, we've just started to have the ability to support the podcast. You can find this link in my Instagram bio or visit Kofi, ko-fi.com slash learning to slay the beasts. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.